drop anything? Mike is hot. We got odds and ends. I can clean some of it up in post. Uh, turn the gain down. That should help also. Is that better? Are we getting a nice feed on my voice? From the graph, it looks like it. How about mine? Uh, looking good. All right. So long as I actually talk at the mic. Well, you know, imagine that. You want to talk at the mic while recording a podcast. Why would I do that? Crazy talk. Kids these days. Welcome to the PlayEd Podcast, where we explore cultivating connections through play. Hello and welcome to the PlayEd Podcast. I'm your host, Laura. And I'm Chris. And we're here today to explore creating connections through play. Before we launch into today's topic, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. A five-star review makes it easier for new listeners to find us. You can subscribe to us through the Podbean app, as well as podcatchers like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you're having trouble finding us, add Laura and Chris along with the show title in the search terms. Please share with your friends. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at PlayEdPod, and follow our Facebook page at PlayEdPodcast. Share with your friends, share with your enemies, just share. So what are we talking about today, Laura? Well, Chris... (laughs) Before I sound like something out of a 1950s television show, um, it has been a little while since we've talked. Christmas has come and gone. We got some new things, but we decided today to tackle an older game of ours. Old favorite. Old favorite. Definitely one that we have played much and is much beloved. I am talking about Fire and Axe. A Viking Saga by IDW Games. And boy, is this a game that we love in our house. Mm-hmm. Laura, why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners a little bit about the uh, the game itself. Sure thing. Board Game Geek helpfully has a nice little summary of it. So it notes that in Fire and Axe, originally released as Viking Fury, you vie for glory across three epic Viking sagas, each one different journey to raid, trade, and subtle territories. Will you choose the path of diplomacy and trade for victory? Or will your longship cast a bloody wake? Start your journey by gathering crew and goods to outfit your boat. Will your ships be filled with warriors or goods, settlers or sackers? After you launch from bustling ports into the open sea, you must choose your path to power. But don't get lost in the wind. The sea will gladly devour souls who take her lightly. In other words, guns versus butter. A little bit. It doesn't play like Guns versus Butter. That's one of the great things about it. So, this was a game that I found out through, um, found it existed through another group I'm part of. And, um, you know, just to describe the physical pieces, there's a, a three foot by two foot fold out board. There are little player mats for each player with the outline of a long ship on them that are color-coded. The game is two to five players, so you can have up to five players, and each of them gets a nice card. The long ship card is sizable and has spaces for a number of things on it. So there are a number of miniature 
figures that come with the game. There's a little miniature long ship that you move around the board as you sail around. The board itself is largely a stylized map of Northern Europe. Um, it includes um, the, the Norse countries, as one would expect in a Viking-themed game. Um, it plays a little fast and loose with some of the geography, especially as far as getting down into um, the Caspian and Black Sea region, um, but that's really for the sake of gameplay and to reflect the historical reality um, that the Vikings did make their way all over. Um, there are islands out in the North Atlantic that you can sail to. Scattered around the board, there are different cities. Cities can be points of trade or points of conquest. There are also some open areas that represent opportunities for colonization, where you can set up your own city. Um, there's some really fascinating mechanics. Um, there are rune cards, which uh, can change conditions in the game pretty quickly and substantially. Um, there are... Um, um, there are a series of saga cards that are like quests that you can uh, undertake, and if you complete them, then you get extra victory points, um, which gives you another way of accumulating the victory points you need in addition to either trading or sacking cities, or both, um, or colonizing new lands. Um, weather plays a role. There's a very interesting mechanic with an onboard, um, weather dial that limits your movement based on the direction you're going. Mm -hmm. Um, and when you're in port initially, you can load up trade goods or troops on your longship. Um, usually you do a mixture of both depending on what your, what your intention is, and then as you play through the game, you get more space in your hold. Your ship has more um, opportunity to hold either additional troops or additional trade goods. So that's kind of an overview. Uh, the game's recommended for ages 12 and up. Um, the So serious question here for parents. How long did it take you to learn this to where you were comfortable leading the kids in it? I think I had to play through a couple of games. Okay. Um, my the, the, the kids picked it up quicker than I did. So this is one they ended up explaining to me. Um, but it, it's actually... The, the, the raw gameplay is pretty simple. It's fairly intuitive once you kind of understand what's where both the saga and the rune cards are very clear in letting you know what gets altered and it makes it pretty easy to to infer from that what ha what changes about how you're playing yeah i mean one of the mistakes i made early on was thinking that the saga cards were really the only way to accumulate points um one of the strategies that we uh, that I've seen develop in play is to trade with a city which lowers its defenses and then sack it. Um, uh, which, especially with, with Constantinople, uh, Rome, and, and um, Rouen, was it? No, it's Paris. Um, Constantinople, Rome, and Paris, um, those are the three most lucrative spots on the board. Um, you, can, you do accumulate treasure, um, but the treasure is mainly used for victory points. You can't improve your ship. You can't buy more troops, etc., etc. Um, 
it was it's it's a lot of fun. It plays very fast once everybody gets a handle on it, um, but it can also bog down, um, and that's something that um, I still haven't quite figured out what modifications might help avoid that. Yeah, it notes here. Um, Board Game Geek rated it between thirty and ninety minutes. Which, from my own memories of watching it play here, sounds about right. That if you've got one of the games where things seem to be flowing, it wraps very quickly. And then when it bogs down, that hour and a half time seems a lot more common. Yeah, I'd I'd agree with that. Um, I think initially learning, we spent, we had a couple of games that were about an hour, hour and a half long, maybe two hours, as we were just trying to find our way around um the the nuances of the rules but it's not a super complicated war game um it's kind of light and fun the pieces are really cute um the the masts break off the long ships so like all of ours we have the masts in one pile and the ships in another with the exception of the yellow ship for some reason that one is still okay um but you know the the there setting are... aside that are, that our Dracars are purely galleys at this point. Um, the pieces are really fun to look at and very easy to read because of the way they're molded. You can clearly see what you've got on the board. There are the five colors, one for each player. Bright primaries. Um, the darker colors, like the black, do tend to fade into the background of the board, which is very dark colored. But the red and the yellow I'll and the that blue the red, all stand out really nicely. I'll note nicely. that the red and the green, for the red-green colorblind, it is a green that you are not going to confuse with the red. They are strongly enough different in terms of their color value that even if you're colorblind, you're more you'll still you should still see them as two different colors. The green is almost a neon. The yellow looks like it came out of a yellow highlighter. Mm-hmm. Um, the black is really really black. Um, the really good color choices on the molding plastics. Um, there are little shield maidens. There are little axe wielding uh, Viking warriors. There are the trade goods you can trade tusks or fish. Um, there's a third one, pelts, I think. But, um, no, I mean, really, it's, a it's got great material components, it's, it's a good family game, um, in that the competition can be very intense, a lot of it's driven by, um, combat is driven by dice, but movement is actually driven by, um, the way the winds are positioned in the part of the board that you're operating in. Um, and that looks like that works by this. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, um, compass sort of compass. Yes. So the obvious question becomes, it's a game about Vikings. If you're playing this game beyond the pure fun of it, what are the sort of things we're going to be picking up in terms of body of knowledge as well as what sort of skills does it help develop? So as far as body of knowledge, it's a great way to introduce or reinforce the um, a large part of the area that um, Norse um, traders and raiders traversed um, in over over Europe um, in the in the what first millennium yeah. AD. 
Um, one of the th- ones I love is obviously, as you mentioned, Constantinople is a rich city. And one of those fun tidbits that I am always tickled pink to learn about in Constantinople, in the Hagia Sophia, if you're on the upper gallery, you can find runes scratched into the marble. And the reason that those Nordic runes are scratched into the marble upstairs is that a bored member of the Varangian Guard scratched them in there one day during one of the long liturgies. Because the Viking, uh, we, we call them Vikings, but Norse, there were Norse warriors who were hired by the um, um, Eastern Roman emperors as personal bodyguard because they didn't have a stake in the succession and they were they were very, very good mercenaries. And that begins to get you a sense of just how far they ranged. One of the biggest errors that we have when we think about history, we imagine that because they didn't have cars and trains and motorboats without modern logistics people didn't move that far but what you see is in fact that some peoples moved all over the place and moved very very fast including um various northmen who moved all around europe and the game helps you to get that sense of just what the scope of their movement was uh in terms of different places including the recognition that while anyone who grew up with a sort of rudimentary European history with large doses of English history mostly hears about the, you know, the Danes raiding England, what you actually have is an interesting mix of both raiding parties and a large amount of trade going on. Uh, and that trade has a, big, has a very significant influence on European history. Normandy is called Normandy because a bunch of Normans, Northmen, settled there. Lombardy in northwestern Italy is called Lombardy because the Longbeards, who were basically Norsemen, settled there uh, and founded what came to be known as the Frankish Kingdoms. So the game can be played just for what it is. It's very enjoyable. It plays pretty fast. Like I said, it's great for a family game night. Um, Fairly low investment with high replay value. Beautiful components, all the things we look for in the games we love. And the sort of thing where if you're, you know, reading through Beowulf, for example, it's a fun way to sort of pull out a game that's going to be thematically on point while having fun with it. Um, Interestingly enough, we have a board game called Beowulf that some friends gave us years ago that we have to get around to playing. We do need to get around to playing that <clears throat> we one. We haven't tried that one. That That's part of a large stack of ones that we've been intending to play through. Uh, we'll get to them. Yes, we will. Um, so, it's... it's the But the other thing is that the game can be used to augment um, a um, late classical or early medieval period um uh, history history curriculum. Um, it certainly wouldn't be out of place, um, and uh, it should hopefully prompt some questions about, you know, Leif Erikson and um, some of the other Viking explorers, and you know, the perennial question: Did Vikings have horns on their helmets? Not bloody likely. Um, that's a that's a Wagnerian operatic convention from the mid nineteenth century. Um, you generally don't 
give your opponent handles with which he can break your neck, um, which is the net effect of putting horns on a helmet. Um, but uh, impressive plumage, horsehair crests and the like. And um, we have a lot of um, friends who play in the Society for Creative Anachronism, and for a lot of them, um, Viking personas are, are something that they have embraced. So we have friends who are really, like, they have scholarly level um, reenactor experience with Viking clothing, Viking um, runes and costumes, Viking cultural norms. And at that point, you can enter some, have some really fascinating conversations about things like those trading parties and learn about what were the things they were trading for? What were the things they were bringing that were considered valuable in other parts of Europe? And, and start to understand how that that desire to trade has people move huge distances so that that that's a, a good summary uh although possibly a long-winded one of um why of what sort of subject matter could be covered as far as skills um you've got to make some choices how many troops versus um how many uh, how much cargo um, would you say, as I mentioned, there's a little bit of a guns of but versus butter in balancing that, but are there different strategies if you're choosing a primarily cargo trade, uh, based, can, you can get victories either way, correct? Yes. Yes. Um, you can get victories either way. The thing is your longship always has to have at least one human figure on it or it can't be sailed. It has to, it's lost at sea otherwise. So if you only put one figure on and you load up with trade goods because you're just going to sail around this turn and do lots of trading, well, that's fine. But if you encounter a storm and you lose your one person, your ship is lost, the cargo is lost, any, any benefits from the trade that turn are lost, and you end up back at the starting point, possibly losing a turn if it's a bad enough storm. Um, and so you probably want to go with two or three troops, but at the very beginning you have very limited hold space. So you have to make choices early on how much trading, how many trading goods, if any, of what kind, um, has a, have the cities within your range already been traded with? Um, are you going to attempt to sack cities? Are you loading up so you can go colonize areas that that haven't that don't have cities in them yet, so that they can uh, become valuable uh, trading partners and contribute to the victory points you're trying to accumulate? There are several different strategies, all of them perfectly viable for accumulating a winning total of victory points. So it helps to reinforce that that ongoing lesson, which is that. Your job is to figure out what drives victory conditions, but understand that there's more than one way to drive at victory frequently. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and it's it's a lot of fun. I, I can't I can't stress that enough that it's you will you it plays fast enough that you can easily experiment with different strategies, even within the same game. And get a feel for is this working or not? That's the effect of having the sagas is that you can you've got some natural timing that says I did this and this is what happened and this time I'm going to do this instead. Yes, yes, and the sagas are a mixture of trading, raiding, and settling. 
um, in different regions of the board and so forth. So everybody isn't always racing for the same few cities. Um, you know, you can win the game without ever trading or sacking Paris, Rome, Constantinople. There are bonus victory points if you manage to trade and sack a trade and or sack all three. Um, and first past the post, there's definitely some good treasure to be had. But by no means is that the only way you can do it. Um, time isn't limited. Uh, time is not unlimited. You, there are limitations on how many decisions you can make and how many activities you can engage in during a given sailing season before you have to winter over. Um, and because of the way the sagas work, there ends up being a hard time limit to the game. Um, if everybody's collecting sagas, you'll reach that end stage pretty quickly. If nobody is, it may take longer, but at some point you'll essentially run out of cities to, to play with. Okay, and time limits bring us to a fairly natural question, which is, how? what are the things we need to do to keep this in the fun zone? So starting with recognizing that you can have anything from a pretty fast half-hour game to an hour and a half, do we have a risk of losing interest or having people get disengaged? And if so, what seems to drive that? Yeah, there's definitely a risk of, of, of disengagement, especially if a, if a game for a particular player isn't going well, especially with younger players. Uh, the, the board, the, the, the box says something like 12 and up. Um, I was playing this with our, what, uh, well, back then that was, that was. The 12 year old was probably about 10 when you started playing it. Yeah. Yes. Cause we've, we've had it and played it pretty consistently over the last couple of years. Um, I'd say 12 is probably right. If you haven't been habitually playing Games involving strategy, you could probably run younger, though, if your family tends to play a lot of strategy games. And if you're willing to ask leading questions to help keep it in the fun zone, you know, uh, are, are, what, what, where, is there a reason you're sailing to, you know, uh, Rostov or, um, you know, little one sees the big shiny blocks of Constantinople, Rome and Paris, wants to sail for those. Okay, that's fine. They're going to learn that trying to lay siege to a big city is painful. Mm -hmm. um, it may take several seasons to do that, at which point everybody else is nabbing all the trading that's on the board and settling uh, and founding new new colonies. So, Yeah, I think the thing I would note is that if you've got younger players at the table than 12, they're not, they might be able to play independently, but as a parent at the table, you're going to have to spend a lot of time helping to ask the kind of questions that develop that, that capacity for thinking through strategy instead of just acting. Um, reading the saga cards, reading the rune cards, um, some, some literacy is helpful, but it is a game that you can get away with minimal reading skills um, and still have a very, very enjoyable evening playing it. Uh, a couple of times. Especially if you've got someone who's just small enough that they mostly just want to move the shiny pieces around the board. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, to some degree, helping the helping the, the younger player decide what their victory conditions are is part of the challenge of keeping it in the fun zone. But it's also part of the fun of playing a game like this 
um, with your kids. Um, you know, they may not want to accumulate them as victory points. They may just want to make sure that they settle the farthest settlements away from wherever they started. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. If, well, if 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 their personal winning condition is reaching a certain goal, then they're going to have fun if they can get to that goal, as opposed to getting hung up on did I win the game? Absolutely, absolutely. So. I'm not sure if there's more that can be said there. Um, the game, the 12 and up is probably about right. Um, maybe a little bit younger if you already play a lot of strategy games. Um, and or if, you know, they're, you're, you're willing to be flexible. But it's not like you have hidden card hands um, that need to be concealed. There's not a lot of, of text to slog through to figure out what's going on. Gameplay can be learned pretty quickly and easily, so you know I'd I'd be comfortable with probably as young as eight or nine. Yeah. Um, and then you know it's 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 at a level that I would call sort of family or beer and pretzel level gaming. You can you know drink a few beers if that's your thing, eat some pretzels, have just kind of a relaxing evening. Um, it's, it's not... It fits well into a game night kind of setup where you could play this and maybe one other game in the space of an evening. Yes. Yes. Over, you know, say a three to four hour period, that kind of thing. Uh, in lieu of watching a movie or, or something less interactive. Um, although the way we watch movies is... (laughs) Pause. (laughs) Explain something, have a discussion, go back to watching the movie. Um, yeah, we're... It takes us about an hour and a half to watch a half hour show, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but lots of fun. Um, Laura, where can our listeners look for a copy of Fire and Axe? That is a fantastic question. Because I seem to recall when we got our copy, there were rumors that it was either out of print or soon would be. Um, I'm hoping it's still available. Well, the secondary market always exists, but Fire and Axe Game on Amazon.com and currently about $35. I will be sure to include a link in the show notes, Um, but yeah, as of right now, it appears to still be findable, so... Excellent, and... Kudos to IDW for keeping it in print. So, still in print, still accessible at a very reasonable price. So, one that, at least for the time being, you should be able to still get your hands on. Um, Should it go out of print, the secondary market, you can usually find reasonable. But right now, it's not a collector's item, so it's not that hard to find. Yeah, I think the only caveat would be reinforce the masts of your little little dracars. But there's only so much you can do there. I suppose if one has a 3D printer, you might be able to make more eventually. That's an aspect of of gaming and miniatures that I just do not yet understand at all. I mean, I I was I, I remember seeing a, a 3D printed heart when I was working in a hospital a few years ago that the surgeon was able to practice on before um, actually cracking the patient's chest open which was really kind of cool. Um, but yeah, 3D printing and I, I'm, I'm still trying to get a handle on this stuff. Yes, I suspect it's one of those things where if it's something you have in your resource kit, 
great. Great, yeah. Yeah, I'm not where I'm at yet. Although I am about to get, get in, going into Minnie's painting, so I may share that on the home uh, Instagram page once I start getting a couple of those going. Since I am sure among our listeners are at least a few people who are into Minnie's. Absolutely. We hope you enjoyed today's discussion around Fire and Axe, a Viking saga by IDW Games. Um, we'll have uh, some links in the show notes so that you can go find yourself a copy if so motivated. And um, let us know what um, what games you enjoy playing. Are there some light family games that you prefer that you'd like to see us discuss? Um, are there any uh, that you just have absolutely hated and can't understand why anybody would buy? Um, regardless, whether you love it or you hate it, please reach out and let us know. Um, you can write us at playadpod at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at playadpod. Um, and please tell us your thoughts. Thank you for listening. And until next time, roll high. Bye now. Don't die on me. <laughs> A different journey to raid, Trettle. Will you... <laughs> Um, we love talking about games as we're going to restart that. Yeah. Um, also I was wondering, do we have a, um, um, segment with the kids? We do not this week. Okay. We need to get back to having that. Yes, we do. So. You want to try that? Just keep it simple. <laughs>